0: Well, I'm going to continue on with the Sermon on the Mount. I've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. I started with Beatitudes, and I really, really spent a lot of time uh, during the time of the Beatitudes. And, uh, you know, it's great to have Claude and Gail here. Um, Because even when we were in Israel, the one thing that we emphasized was being guided by the Spirit and being so focused on the Word of God and learning from what he has to say and just like this morning when we heard from Pastor Otto it is the word and discipleship that transforms us and I am so glad that Logos is is part of our name because that is one thing that is missing in the church these days is an emphasis on the word and and it's interesting because it's not about the length but i tell you when you get a 10 minute sermon there's a problem now if it's called for because of the type of service but in the main service we should be digging in to the word of god and i tell you it doesn't matter who's preaching here when when we give the, the scriptures over, there's a long list of scriptures that we give over for them to be prepared. And that, and that is something that is, it was actually wonderful to hear this morning. That, you know, Nexo and Pastor Otto, that is exactly what they emphasized. Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit when we disciple and we focus on learning what God has to say, the truth that He has for us. George, can you put up a picture of the Sermon on the Mount, the photo of the hill? I wonder if you can bring it up. And I just want you to imagine what's going on here, because you see what's so important is that Jesus, it all starts in, in chapter 5, and it goes right through to chapters 8, verse 1. Let me say, well, well how come it stops at chapters 8, verse 1? Well, um, the people who decided to create a few hundred years ago decided to create the chapters and verses sometimes you know, they, they cut it off right. Sometimes they missed it a little bit. But that's okay because it was never part of the Bible in the first place. You know that, right? That those numbers, you know, and verses. That, that was just something we created to make it easy for us to find each other. And, and, but they got it a little wrong. It actually ends at, at chapter 8, verse 1, in my opinion. But it's three chapters. Three, I don't know. Like, I guess George might be having a little bit of problem bringing that up. That's okay. But anyway, remember, this, is, this is how you can imagine imagine it. You got the Sea of Galilee, and then there's these hills that just, rolling hills that just go up from it. And there are these beautiful rolling hills, and Jesus would have gotten to the base of one of those rolling hills, and all of a sudden, in chapter 5, he says, seeing the crowds, right, seeing the crowds, he went up the mountain, and we sat down, his disciples came to him. And in verse, in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And the crowds were astonished. Last verse of chapter 7 and the first verse of chapter 8, the crowds were astonished. There it is. You see, you could see Jesus maybe walking up to one of these hills. It might have been this one, might have been one of the others, we're not not sure. Tradition says it's this one, but it doesn't matter. It was one of those hills in that general zone. Jesus walking up from the water's edge up to that hill. So it's almost like a natural amphitheater. And he'd be, he'd be teaching crowds of people coming to him. Crowds of people. And as he's teaching them, the Sermon on the Mount, when you read through it, it's 10, 15 minutes. Do you think Jesus spent 10, 15 minutes on that hill? No. He probably spent hours. But we only have 15 minutes of what his teaching was, of all that he said. And so one of the things that I want to share with you, and you've heard me say this many times, is it's not just what was written that's important when we read the Bible, but how it was put together, structured together. Because you see, back then they didn't have computers and storage spaces, not even the printing press, everything was handwritten. Either done through memory and then handwritten painstakingly, slow. And so how do you convey, let's say I'm going to make up the time, I don't know how long he was there, three hours of teaching in a span of three chapters. And what they did in the ancient world is they not only picked exactly those highlights, but they actually put them together in a certain way to deepen the message. And just like we saw with the Beatitudes, right? There are nine Beatitudes, nine blessings. And it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. And blessed are the peacemakers. And we've been reading how it all starts with poor in spirit. And that is a recognition of how poor we are. Blessed are you when you recognize how poor you are, how perfect God is, and how far we are from his perfection. And that without Christ, we could never, never have even come close. And Jesus declares, theirs is the kingdom. And you see, this is what we call an ethos. Right? We have the name logos, which is really reason and logic. Some translate it word, but actually it means reason, logic. And then we have ethos, which is your character, your essence. And it's used a lot in the Bible. Actually, it's, it's translated custom or manners. You're going to see it all. Like it was, it was in the custom of Jesus to go up to pray. That's actually the word ethos. In other words, ethos is something much more than custom. It's something that is in you. Something that guides your thinking, your, the way that you approach things. It's the transformation of your mind into something completely different. And then outwardly are customs and mannerisms. But internally, it's something that needs transformation. And we need ourselves to transform And the Beatitudes is transformational. Right after we read the Beatitudes and, and we talked about it, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light. Because, but only if you live by what the Beatitudes call us to live by. And so Matthew starts with the Beatitudes. He starts with the Beatitudes. But right after, right after the Beatitudes, he starts talking about another subject. But before we get into that, before we get into that, I have an object lesson for you today. I have a box. In my box, I have tennis balls doesn't bounce very well up here I have water there's a jar of water hopefully I don't make a big mess and I have a jar now many of you have probably seen this analogy used before for a variety of reasons I'm going to use this analogy here for the purpose today hopefully what I say will stick alright now When God created Adam and Eve and he breathed into them, they were filled. They were filled and they were in perfect relationship and harmony with God. The spirit was in them. There was perfect union. In fact, when you read Genesis, there was never a dialogue between Adam and God that was verbal after the fall you see that the dialogue had to become verbal. You notice that? It's purposely written like that in Genesis. Because they were perfectly union spiritually. But after the fall, after the fall, the Spirit left them. Hopefully I won't make a mess. And they were empty. They became an empty vessel. This is what we are, an empty vessel. Just body and soul. No spirit to guide us. I've always said this, that we're like amnesia. What do you call them? Not amnesiacs. uh, People who don't have iron. What do you call them? Anemic. Anemic. We're spiritually anemic. We are. Because there's nothing inside us that originally was supposed to. And we wonder why there's so many problems in this world. Because without the Spirit, that's what we were made, to have the Spirit with us at all times. And so, there goes, you know, the history of mankind, right? Trying to trying to live a holy life. And so sometimes, you know, we create laws, right? Or we focus on certain things. The do's and don'ts, I call them, the do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. And so I said, okay, here's a don't. I'll fill the don't. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try my best and, you know, my effort not to do something. All right, here's another one. You know, we as Christians sometimes get into this trap and we focus on one thing, so, I, I mean, there was at one point in time we only focused on, you know, when the, when the uh, homosexual and lesbian movement was, was rising. We focused on that. There was lots of talk about that. And the reality is, is that we forgot to talk about all the other stuff that, that is sexually impure, because we focused on one thing, right? And we get trapped. We get trapped when we focus on one thing, To deal with all the others. Sex outside of marriage. Sex before marriage. Right? All those things that we know are wrong, we sort of, because we pick something that we think is worse to try and make the others more palatable. We do that. We do that. We do that as a church. We do that as individuals. And this is is what Jesus was facing with the Pharisees. Right? They went and picked the 613 laws that they thought were most important. And so they tried to fill themselves with all of these laws, right? They kept on filling themselves. And the more they studied, the more laws they put in. And so they thought, oh, because I have all these laws, all these do's and don'ts. That's enough. That's enough. But guess what? That doesn't fill you. That's just all human effort. And so, what ends up happening when you start to think this way is you think that life is just a manner of me living a certain way, dressing a certain way, Going to work and behaving a certain way, not swearing. You know, somebody who swears has got to be bad, bad person. Now, you know, I, I've I've heard a Christian swear, and you know what? They apologize. Does that make him a bad person? No. In fact, the person I'm thinking of is a beautiful person. They just were angry. suffering. But if we focus on the one thing, oh my goodness, how do we treat that? How do we treat people? We start to put one thing over the other. And then sometimes we slip into the areas that are gray. And like I mentioned before, you know, people who maybe struggle with smoking or have tattoos. But we don't talk about the hidden the things that are beyond the surface. And this is what Jesus was talking about as he's on the Sermon on the Mount. He's going from the Beatitudes. This is the way we need to think. This is the way we need to think. And then some people start to think, well, is Jesus abolishing the law? Because that, that's the one thing that they start to think. whoa, well, is Jesus abolishing the law? Is, is this what's happening? Is he abolishing the law? And this is what Jesus said. He says, I'm not here to abolish the law. Not at all. He goes, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. And in fact, in the Greek, the word abolish is, is written twice. And when you see something repeated twice or three times, and we don't see it in our English translations, it means double the emphasis. It's a multiplier emphasis. So don't, don't think that I've come to it. This is the way it would, it would read if it was literal do you not think that I have come to abolish, abolish the law of the prophets? I have not come to abolish, abolish them. That sound funny. But that's how they added emphasis. I didn't come to abolish it. He says, I came to fulfill them. Make them more complete. Oh, can you imagine the Pharisees in the crowd? They must have been, going, yes, finally, he's talking our language. For a minute there, we were getting worried. This guy isn't about the law, but now he's saying, no, I come to fulfill it. I, I want to come fulfill it. And Jesus goes on and he says, for I truly say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Yes! The Pharisees might, yeah! This is what we want to hear. And you see, the Pharisees would have loved it, because they would have been saying, see, to all you people, you need, to, you need to abide by the 613 laws. Therefore, this is what Jesus says afterwards. He goes, to verse 19, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, hmm, it's an interesting statement, and teaches us that to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Now, this is where it turns. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, wait a minute. Jesus, you just told us that you want us to be oriented towards the law. It's all about the law. That's what the Pharisees teach. What are you talking about? And you see, the clue comes in, in the word relax and least. And you see, the word commandments doesn't just mean the laws that you follow. There's actually many ways of thinking about the laws. The laws of actually how they are applied become a law unto themselves. You see, when I teach you something, the way it's applied in your life, it's the law taking on meaning and being applied again and again and again. And so Jesus begins to clarify. And you see, we begin to see that Jesus starts to imply that these 613 laws aren't enough. You need more. A lot more. So, do we create more laws? Well, I guess we could. We can create more laws. There's, there's enough space in there. Read more. You know, Let me pour some more in there. You can read more. We fill it in more. You see that? I can just keep going. More laws. Let's go beyond 613, right? Wait, 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 2,000? 2,000 laws. Can you remember 2,000 laws? Brother Rick, can you remember 2,000 laws? Oh, come on. There's got to be thousands of laws. You know, we can really fill ourselves with laws and do's and don'ts. You know, don't smoke, don't put on tattoos don't do this and that, don't wear long hair, don't wear dresses, women don't wear pants, guys don't wear jewelry. And I, Otto, this was a big thing, you know, Pastor Otto, when I went to Brazil, I had to take off my bracelet, eh? I love Brazilians, don't get me wrong, but, and you can just fill and fill and fill, I say, ah, I got all those cracks, right? just get more laws so jesus is saying that the pharisees don't got it just add more laws i can just see the people being more and more you know confused what's going on here jesus you know and jesus even you know starts to talk about the law in a different way because see the law isn't a simple thing because the law actually there are about eight words for the law so we can get really complicated here okay there's, there's I'm going to mess up Hebrew because I I never learned how to pronounce Hebrew, okay? So if you know Hebrew, I'm going to get it all wrong, okay? But there's a word for for the law in Hebrew called dabar. And these are just words, terms, okay? They're like just divine oracles. And then there's a word called dath. There's another classification of of commandments called dath. And they're like public law. And then there's eduth. And that's more like truth. And so then there's Hukim, which are statutes, laws, right? You see this in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Then Misfat, which are religious laws. And then you have Mitzvah, which are real, real, like, serious laws, right? They're the, you know, if there was a hierarchy, that would be one. Then there's Pekidim, which are orders from God. Like, and you see these in the Psalms, like Psalm 19a. Then there is actually Torah, you know, like the Torah, but there are Torah laws, And so what we could do is we could take all these laws and we can classify them into eight categories. Wow. I mean, I did my doctorate, but it would probably take a lot longer than that to get this all figured out. But is that what Jesus was talking about? To go beyond what the pharisees do and here's what we get into verse 21 now i'm going to ask you what does verse 21 say anybody got their bibles open what does it say the first three words what does it say you have heard what about verse 27 you have heard and in 31 it says you also said verse 33 again you have heard right and then in thirty-eight you have heard, forty-three you have heard. Why does it say you have heard? Why why is Luke repeating that statement that Jesus would have said the Sermon on the Mount repeatedly in this? Why? What's the point? Guess. Anybody? Anybody? Because they didn't have Bibles. People didn't have Bibles. You have Bibles in your hands, on the apps. I got four different Bible versions at home in book form, and then I got probably another 50 in digital form. Didn't have Bibles. And so that's Jesus was saying, you have heard, you have heard. And every time he says that you have heard it said, he's referring back to something in Deuteronomy or Leviticus or in the Bible in the Old Testament. And he's going. You have heard it said, because people didn't have the money, unless you're extremely rich, to own a scroll. So the only way that you would have scriptures if you memorized it. And so you know, like when I was saying that it's hard to to think of all these laws. You know, I knew I knew this Portuguese guy when I was going to a Portuguese church downtown, uh, and he was an immigrant. And back then he was an older man, and he, but he'd become a Christian lead in life. And he had memorized the entire Bible. I was shocked. Like, the entire Bible, you memorize it. The whole thing. Like every piece of scripture. He would have been one of these guys up to here. But you know why? Because he couldn't read or write. But he never told anybody. So every time... The scripture was read in church. To him it was like gold. Like gold. And he memorized it. And then he'd have people read it to him. So that he could memorize it. And it became a part of his life. And I'm just digressing a little bit here, but... You see, it's wonderful for us to have the word of God in written form. I wouldn't change it for anything else. I wouldn't. But sometimes we take it for granted. And we need to have it in us. I'm not asking you to memorize the entire Bible and, you know, to be like a Pharisee and turn it into a bunch of rules and laws that you follow. But it should be something that that is so intricate and part of you that it guides you, it becomes your ethos, it becomes your everything. The people at work and at school and your neighbors find you weird because you are weird. If you're a Christian, you're weird. You are. You don't behave like the rest of society does. You don't. You don't think like them. You're weird. And guess what? It's okay to be weird. When I work with the youth, one of their biggest struggles is that if to become a Christian, you're different and you don't do the things that the other kids do. And I tell them, yeah, you're weird. And guess what? That's on purpose. And it's okay. In fact, being weird and sticking out like a sore thumb, that's God's plan. That's why He calls us aliens, ambassadors. We are to be weird. And So Jesus just going back, just says, You have heard it said. You have heard it said, you have heard it said. And then in verse twenty, say it too. What did he say? Say it to what did he say? Verse 22, verse 28, verse 32. What does it say? It's the same thing. It's repeated. What does he say? But I say to you. So Jesus is going like this. Hey, you've heard this law from the Bible. But I say to you. And this is where Jesus is getting about the least of these. He's not talking about an a, a order, a, a hierarchy here. And I always say, guys, read things in context. Because Luke is putting together this scripture, one adjacent to another for a purpose. Jesus just finished saying that he didn't come to abolish law; he came to actually fulfill it. And this is what he's trying to do, and he's trying to say, listen, you have heard it said, verse 21, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, where's that in the Old Testament? Let's go to the next one. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, where's that in the Old Testament? Jesus is taking us to a different level. These are what Jesus was referring to as the least of these. In other words, the ones that people ignore—not the big, the big sins that people want to point out. Because I like to differentiate between, you know, sins, so that they focus on the big ones and they can, you know, feel good about the little ones that they let go by. And Jesus is going, no, 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 gotta understand. The law, the commandments, they're the will of God. That's why Jesus was called the Word and the Word was with God. It's logic, logos. It's a way of thinking, a way of being. And it goes beyond what just one statement says, that the implication of that statement, the implication of being poor in spirit goes way beyond a simple sermon in every aspect of your life the commandment becomes living in our lives this is this one It also said whoever divorces his wife with a certificate but i say to you takes it further again you have heard it said to those of old you shall not swear falsely but shall perform To the Lord, what you have sown. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth. You see that? Jesus keeps taking everything that was in the Old Testament and he takes it a step further. And you see, the least are not the least, they're actually the greatest. Do you see the irony? The paradox in this? These are the commandments that Jesus is elaborating on. The will of God. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is right after the Beatitudes. If this isn't a totally different way of thinking, then what is? What is? Jesus is raising the bar, and you might think, okay, so there's more commandments, Pastor Julio? So is, the, is there room to fill up here? Well, let me see. Maybe, you know, these least of these, you know, these little ones? You know, maybe, maybe I can fill them in here, you know? Maybe there's room for them here. Well, let me try. Let me see. Well, let me see. Can, is there some space in here? You know, oh, well, I can fill that in there. Let me put some more of these, the least of these, you know? applying all these commandments just put them in there just put them in there you know wow they're filling in that jar all that space so we just got to fill ourselves with more and more rules you know it's not just about murder it's about anger and hate wow you know let's let's keep going there's still room in there you know, Jesus kept going. I'm sure that, you know, in his three hours, he might have given more examples. You know, let's, keep, let's add some more rules in here. You know, let's see how far we can go. Now, fill this jar, you know, this empty vessel, this sinner. The more rules you put in him, make him better, eh? Shake him a little bit. You know, he needs some, some of us need some shaking, you know? Him across the side of the head, you know, really bang him in there. Teach him a lesson. See, we got there. We more rules. Let's give him some more. He deserves more. There you go there we go, how dare you wear a bracelet, how dare you wear a bracelet, you Portuguese man, you're in Brazil right now, there you go, come on, wow, you might be going, Jesus, just, it's a lot to think about, you know, like, we already have the word of God, and now you're saying, we've got to go beyond that, well, how do we do that, it's, it's not written anywhere. You know, like, and even if I take everything that's written and I try to think of all the possible combinations and permutations of how I add this, like, this doesn't sound easy. I mean, Jesus, in, in Matthew 11:28 28 to 30, you said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But Jesus, this doesn't sound like that. You keep saying, you know, you've heard it said, and we do that. You're saying that's not good enough. So now you're saying, i got to do more? There are more rules? Unwritten rules? Wow. I tell you, this is a lot heavier than when I started. This does not seem like a light burden. This... This is starting to feel really, really heavy. This is very heavy. I don't think I can live up to that standard. Can you live up to that standard? I don't think so. I don't think I can live up to that standard. That's a real heavy burden there. But here's what I want to show you something. You see, Luke does something on purpose can you bring up is, is it possible to bring up the image are you able to bring up the image of the triangle it's a png i don't know george ah that worked this one worked good all right okay this is a, it might be a little boring for some of you but i, I just i'm going to walk you through this okay the sermon on the mount starts at the bottom okay it starts with matthew 5 1 the crowds follow jesus and ends with matthew 8 1 okay Jesus goes up the mountain, ascending, and goes down. Now Luke, in a span of three chapters, has to put three hours, like I said, of what Jesus was teaching. Okay? And so as he's teaching, he starts with the Beatitudes here at the far left at the bottom. And and he's starting ascending. And you see he's starting ascending into light salt and light and he's ascending into christ fulfills the law and it keeps going up and then you have heard it said and these are different things that he's writing about that jesus taught and then at the very top and you say well julie how do you know it's at the very top well there's a technique that they used to use in how they used to write the bible and it would be almost like a scroll and and you got to think of that the scroll had an impact on how they thought and so you have a scroll, and the center is the most important. I mean, Revelation, the center of the book of Revelation, is the entire, book of, the entire story of the church in an analogy. And then you have the scroll, and everything just goes out from there like a butterfly. Okay, It's the same thing. And at the very top is the Lord's Prayer. And then from the Lord's Prayer, you see, just before, it's about giving and praying in secret. And then you have the Lord's Prayer in the middle. I used to call this, when I used to do Bible study, the sandwich. You know, and some sandwiches are small, some sandwiches are big. But in the middle is the meat. It's the Lord's Prayer. And then on the other side, you, set, you see here fasting in secret. And you start to see, well, how do they do that? Well, they actually pick key words and phrases as they structure this. And I'm going to show you this in subsequent messages. And you look at. On the one left side is giving and praying in secret. On the right side of the Lord's Prayer is fasting in secret. And then on the left side, as you have heard it said, on the other side is unsaid examples. More examples of things that aren't written that you should, you should do. More commandments. And then on the left side is Christ fulfills the law. The other one it says, ask in the golden rule, and that's where we are today. You see, this is called, for some of you who, who like to look things up, a chiastic structure. C H, i, a s t chiastic, I see. You guys can Google that. And what happens is, we're reading right now from Christ Fulfills the Law, Matthew 5, What is the corresponding section, the parallel corresponding section? It is Matthew 7 7 to 14. And you see, this is how Luke wants you to understand what's going on in this section. And what is in that section? Here's what it says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. So do you understand that they're not talking about here about a million dollars in cars? Right? In context. This is about what it means to be a Christian. And trying to live a Christian life. To be a light and salt. Okay? For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father fill or your Father who is in heaven, give you things to those who ask Him. So whatever you wish that others would have do to you, you also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Sounds choppy, doesn't it? It's there for a reason. Enter the narrow gate, for by the gate, the gate that is wide, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction. Those who enter are by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life for those who find it, a few. You see, on the one side of that triangle is Jesus talking about all this law stuff. On the other side, after you've prayed the Lord's Prayer, after you go to the Lord in secret, He gives you the clue. You want to know all these commandments? You're not going to memorize them. You need to ask God. You need to ask God for help. You're not going to be able to memorize all these things. You're not going to be able to do this. And he says, and he gives it the golden rule, right? So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets, right? They tried to trip him up, and he taught this. He taught this in a few places, you know, some people, on a side note, some people say, ah, you know, the Bible sometimes can't be correct because it puts different scripture in different parts of the story. Why couldn't Jesus have t- taught the same thing in multiple times, multiple places? He even says it himself, don't you remember when I fed the 3,000 and the other time I fed the 4,000? He just says, I did it twice. So why couldn't he actually teach you twice? He's saying here, this is the golden rule. But he's saying, guys, this is a narrow gate. This is a narrow gate. This is a narrow gate. You can't do this. It isn't easy. You are not going to be able to do this. You need to ask need to ask and what is it that you ask what is it that you ask well I have a story for you I was watching a program that kind of surprised me and I'll tell you why it surprised me because I didn't think that this community of believers were so far off from where I thought they were and I was watching an interview an Amish couple and you so I always thought the Amish you know they reject technology you know electricity you know they they go to church every Sunday they read the Bible they're anabaptist which means that you only get baptized when you're an adult they don't do children baptism they must have it right! I mean They're a little bit, you know, idyllic. But they must have it right. So I'm hearing this interview of this young couple. They got married. We just prayed for a young couple this morning. And as they were going out, they went outside of their Amish village and they bumped into somebody who talked to them about God and asked them a few questions that they couldn't answer. And you see, in the Amish community, you work hard day and night, and on Sundays you go to church and then you read on Sunday what everybody else reads. Right? The pastor preaches. He says, well, everybody opens up their book and they read the Bible. And then throughout the week, you know, there's no electricity or motors. You, you work hard. But that wasn't good enough because the question of that Christian who bumped into them on the street and they didn't have the answer for stirred them up inside stirred them up inside and so they began to read the Bible and as they began to read the Bible they began to see that there's so many things in the Bible that they weren't aware of and the more they read the more surprised they were at the beauty of the Bible and the truth in the Bible and they began to think why haven't I been taught this? And been ta- they, they read about the spirit. And all of a sudden about being born again. And they started to talk to other people in the Amish village. And they started thinking that they were weird. And the more they read and the more they asked, the more the people in the Amish village began to ostracize them. You see, That Amish village, they had the Bible, they had Sunday service, they went to service, they read the Bible every week. But the one thing they confessed, they did not have the Spirit. And when they accepted Christ, something came over them. A desire a hunger and it made them ask more questions and more questions and more questions and to the point where the Amish village couldn't take it anymore and it says you are not Amish anymore we don't like the kind of questions you're asking we don't like the fact that you're going and doing Bible study in other people's homes you have to leave you see they were young Christians who had just accepted the Lord They didn't have the whole Bible memorized. And when the Spirit entered their life, they had a desire that, like never before. Like never before. And you see, only the Spirit can really fill you up. And you see, even when you think you've done all you can You can still add more. As it goes down, it'll go down. You see the bubbles coming up. And you can still add more. But guess what? Only the Spirit can do, really fill you up. Only the Spirit. The living water. And when you have the Spirit, you don't need to worry about all those laws it's not about memorizing them it's not about how do i apply them it's about surrendering to the spirit of god because when you surrender to the spirit of god jesus will be there saying but i say to you and the spirit will be doing that in your life you're at work and somebody says something to you and the Spirit puts on your heart to say something or do something, or even do nothing but smile, you are working out one of the least of these commandments. You are living out the commandments of God in new ways, new ways in your life. Why? Because the Spirit is guiding you, and it's the will of God guiding you in your life. And all the commandments are, all the Bible is, is trying to get us to understand the will of God in our life. And you have the Spirit. Does that mean that you give up on the Bible? No. It's like Paul said, does that give us the right to sin? No. All the more so. We are to depend more on the Spirit so we know the Word of God even more and apply it to our lives. It is only by the Spirit that we can actually understand what Jesus meant by, but I say, yeah, that makes sense. Why does that make sense to us? Because we have the Spirit of God in us. And every day, every week, with the people in your life, there's going to be an I say moment. That in the Bible isn't perfectly described. You may work at a university and some things come up, or some people say some things to you. You can seek the Bible, the spirit will say this is what jesus says and it becomes alive and applied so now all of a sudden when you read it it makes sense to what i'm doing in my life and here's the thing that we forget and this is what jesus is trying to to teach you see he doesn't want you to be like the camel (laughs) you know the straw that broke the camel's back you know Is that picture of that camel, right? It's a heavy-laden camel. All those straws, you know. Just keep pouring it on, you know, like the camels. This is what it means, you know, the the straw that broke the camel's back. Every straw on there can be different laws that, you know, you have to burden yourself with. That's not the way God wants us to live. And that's not what Jesus was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And you see, what Luke was giving us is the clue that after you pray, you begin to understand that really what God is asking us to ask Him to go to Him in prayer is for Him to help us. Lord, how do I deal with this situation? And you can do that in real time. You don't have to wait. You can do it in secret at your desk or at, at your post or while you're working on the street. Wherever it is, you can ask. And if you don't know what to say, then do unto others as you would have them do to you. That's your ethos. You're poor in spirit. We seek righteousness. We've received mercy, so we are merciful. So, this is like this Amish couple that began to experience the Spirit. And so, what is the Spirit? Let me share with you what the Spirit is. Ten things about the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps you and teaches you. John 14, 26. Are you ready? Here comes some scripture. The Holy Spirit. Are you ready? But the helper, the Holy Spirit, from the Father who will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said. It is the Spirit that reminds you of what you need to do and what the Lord says. When you depend on the Spirit for strength, He is the one that brings to you the Scripture or the truth that you need to act on at this point in time, no matter what you're doing in life. Number one. Number two. He convicts the world of sin. John 16, 7-8. Nevertheless I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away for I do not go away if I do not go away the helper will not come to you but if I go I will send him to you and when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment not you not you remember we read the scripture 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says Paul says now I'm talking about the evildoers and he says but I'm not talking about those people outside the church who don't know the truth. I'm talking about the ones inside the church. For whom I to judge those outside the church, that's up to God. I'm talking about the evildoers in the church. The ones outside the church is the role of the Spirit. And it's a Spirit who's come to you to help you. But at work, whatever's happening, you're being persecuted, because we just talked about that, if you follow the Beatitudes... Your lifestyle, you're going to be weird. You're going to get persecuted. People are going to make fun of you. But the Spirit is the one who will convict that person, not you. You just need to live the life and respond the way that God wants you to be. You are the salt and the light. So be the salt and light. Let the Spirit of God convict that person and maybe give you an opportunity to witness to that person. That's how God reaches people. Do You know, in the first two, three hundred years, there wasn't massive evangelists and TV programs and, and millions and millions of dollars to send people all over the world. It's like what Pastor Otto was saying. You bring the gospel to one person they learn, they begin to read it, then they become a missionary and they bring it to another person, then they bring it to another person, and they bring it to another person. That is how the gospel spread. And it was through the Holy Spirit. Not through schools, not through all the universities. They're great, don't get me wrong, I've been in university too long. He convicts the world of sin. Number three, the Holy Spirit dwells in believers and fills us. 1 Corinthians 3:16. do you know do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you he dwells in you if you are here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ and you've always wondered how can I live a Christian life you can't do it on your own you need to be filled with the spirit whether you're online or in here, you need to surrender to God and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because He's the one who's going to show you. You just cannot outthink it. You can't. 1 Corinthians two ten to 11 These are the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except for their own spirit within them? In the same one, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He is the source of revelation and wisdom in our lives. John sixteen thirteen to 15. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Jesus is the truth, the word. But it's the spirit of truth that will guide you. And you see, that's why it was very confusing to them when Jesus was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Because they were thinking this. And until the Holy Spirit came, they had no idea. No idea. 1 Corinthians 12:7-11. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For one, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom; to the other, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To the other, faith. And he goes on and on and on and on. And these are spiritual gifts. People of God, all of you, all of you who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You're part of the body. You have a calling, a role, and a purpose in your life. The Spirit lives in you. You have a purpose. You have to act it out. If you want to experience the pure joy of God, you have to act it out. Because as soon as you understand your gift and your role and you start to do it, what ends up happening is a joy will come over you. Pure joy. Even when things are going bad, you'll have joy. Even when you're doing things you don't like. Like, I remember when I first came to Logos, not when Pastor Dino was here, way, way back, before I was downtown, and I was at a Portuguese church downtown, and then I came to Logos. Logos. I called up the district and said, I'm looking for a church. And they said, well, here's a couple of close to your area. So we came to this and we fell. After a few months, they said, oh, we need people to help. And I said, God, you know, I've been in leadership for years. I just want to do something simple. Just something simple. I just want to do something. So that day after I prayed that, you know, the pastor, Pastor Betcher, it was actually Mrs. Betcher, I think. Said, we need people to help clean on Saturday mornings. We need volunteers to help clean. And I go to myself, man, I'm the worst cleaner. I was so terrible at cleaning. When I got married, my wife was shocked. She had, she had to show me how to clean, she actually wrote down instructions. That's how bad I was. So here I am, oh God, you're asking me to come in and help clean. On Saturday mornings, I said, okay, I asked for it, you gave it to me, I'm obeying. I came in, and Mrs. Brett said, are you, are you sure? Because, you know, I worked, I worked downtown in an office, you know, and she kind of knew you know, I'm Portuguese, only child, boy, all those pieces don't fit together with the guy who's going to come in on Saturday mornings to clean. Ah, I'm here, I'm ready. She goes, okay, here's a bucket. I said, okay. I don't use one of these very often, but I'm going to learn how to do it. And you know, I started. And I kept going and going. And you know what? A joy came over me. I was mopping every week. And Mrs. Betcher would always be concerned. Are you okay, Julio? Yeah, this is great. I'm having a great time. And once I was in there scrubbing the urinals, you know, And I told because are you okay, Julia? Yeah, I'm having a great time. I was scrubbing hair. It wasn't me. If it was me and my effort, I'd be grumbling and complaining all through that time. But it was the Spirit. I had prayed. I went and asked the Spirit. I want to do something different, Lord. And the Lord said, this is what you do. And I learned that when we're obedient to what the Lord calls us to do, he gives us the gift to do it and the joy to do it. Even when, and and I'd go home and I'd hate doing it. I couldn't understand that. Why is it when I go home and I have to clean the toilet? I hate it. But when I go to church, I'm I'm completely happy and singing. I don't understand that. And now, after all these years, I do understand it. I do understand it you have a gift you need to use it you need you need to use it i'd love to see every single one of you know what your gift is nurture it maybe you're at the point where you're nurturing it you're learning what it is and you're trying you're trying to nurture it speak to somebody say this is this is what i feel that god is putting on my heart to do let it shine he is a seal Ephesians 1.13 And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit is your seal. He, Romans 8.26-27 He helps us in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Are you weak? Are you struggling? It's the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God. Romans eight ten to 11, but if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because of righteousness. And the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Because of the Spirit, we have hope and the seal and the guarantee. And the Spirit sanctifies. But I say to you, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus started talking about fulfilling the law, this is what he was talking about. He was preparing people to the point to understand, you and I cannot live in this life without dependence on the Spirit. And sometimes we get forgetful at work. We forget to include God in our life when things happen, things that are bad. And what did Matthew do? He struck me and said, well, Ask! If something happens and you don't know what's going to happen, at a minimum, you have the Beatitudes, the golden rule, do unto others, do yourself, and you can ask God. There it is. That's it. You want to know that? There you go. Signed, sealed, delivered. Everything's there. You have the Spirit of God. You have the Word of God. That is how the law is fulfilled. No other way. And that is why Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. You are the fulfillment of the law. You here, you who have accepted Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never heard it that way, but that's what Matthew is saying. If you follow Jesus, you're fulfilling the law of God. Every day, every second. In every way, this is the challenge to you, church. And you see, every day, you can still see the tennis balls in there, eh? Coming through. We get tempted because it's easier to just focus on certain things. I get asked all the time, especially with uh, young Christians, what what rule should I follow? And I said, "Well, really, Christianity isn't really about rules. But if you really want something to start with, I'll start with this: Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Let's start with those. What's next? Start praying and seeking God, reading the Bible. And then all of a sudden, a fire takes over. And just like that Amish couple, they just want to read it every day, all the time. What happens to us after five years, ten years, twenty years? You know, what happens? Why don't we have that passion? And I was just reading about all the things that the Spirit does, and you see, Once you've finished with milk, the Spirit brings you into the body and starts to ask you to be part of the body, to live out the calling in the body, to recognize the gifts that the Spirit has given you, to exercise those gifts, to put them into use, to bless others. And if you're wondering, why am I not on fire like I was when I first became a Christian? It's because the Spirit is no longer guiding you in every aspect of your life. If you need to clean some toilets, clean toilets. Scrape gum off the ground. Play in the band. You have a desire to learn an instrument? Start learning. Desire to work with children? Work with children. Desire to pray? Pray. This is what Jesus was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. That's what the least of these commandments is. And this is what Jesus was saying. I say to you. I say to you. Band. Please come up. Let us stand. What is Jesus saying to you today? What is he saying to you today? What is the Spirit of God saying to you? You have heard it said, but I say to you, what is God saying to you today? You need to respond. If you don't have that fire that you had, listen to what Jesus is saying to you today. If you've never experienced that fire, today is the day that you can say to somebody, I need to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. How do I do that? And if you are a Christian, and you're wondering, why am I on fire like I was? And I'm not saying fire that you're hopping up in joy. Oh, all right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the fire, the desire to actually do something. To love. To bless. To turn the other cheek. That desire. If you want to dance, dance. That's also joy. That's not the joy that the Spirit brings. You have heard it said. But I say to you. What is Christ saying to you today? Bow your heads, please. That's all about heads. This is your chance to confess every head is bowed, eyes are closed. Don't worry, mine are not, because I'm I'm your public witness here. How many feel that Jesus is calling them for something? Raise your hand. I see those hands. Yes, 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 I see those hands. Jesus is saying something today to you. Yes. You have heard it said, but I say. You know what God is saying and putting on your heart. You know what he's calling you to do and to be. Now's the time to respond. I'm going to pray for you. And then... We're going to worship the true King. Father, how great and wonderful you are, merciful, only by grace. You are so patient with us, so patient. And Lord, today your message was about taking us to another level but not in our own strength a whole new way of thinking of being of doing a new season and lord you have touched many hearts here this morning speak to them lord and may the seed bear fruit in fertile soil and grow into a mighty work through the hands that have been raised. Clear their path, Lord. Show them the narrow way. Let the Spirit guide us in, in the gifts that you have called us to be. And let us glorify your name for that is what we are here for. For you and only you and nothing else. And may others, through this joy, through this love, through this salt that you are producing here today, many will come to see and experience the joy and love and hope and salvation that came through your son, Jesus Christ. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.